Welcome to episode 84 of the Search with Candor podcast recorded on Friday the 23rd of October 2020. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and today I'm going to talk about mobile first to mobile only indexing, some new information on Google Discover, auto-generating alt tags and some updates to the quality rater guidelines. Before we get going, I want to tell you all that this podcast is very kindly sponsored by Sitebulb, which is a desktop-based Windows and Mac SEO auditing bit of software. It's a great bit of software. I use it. I've used it for quite a long time now. We use it in Canda Agency, and as regular listens, listeners will know, I always go through one of my kind of favorite features of Sitebulb or talk about one of the features uh, that I've been using that's particularly helpful. And they've made it really easy for me this week. And I'll tell you why. At the beginning of the month, Cindy Crum, a quite well-known SEO, tweeted this. SEO and JavaScript experts, what's the fastest way to find non-HTML internal links on a site at scale without searching page code one at a time? I can't find this function in the crawlers I normally use. Normally, I just look at a page at templates, but that won't work here. Any good tips? So people came back with various different responses of how to do this. Most of them essentially were, you need to do a JavaScript and non-JavaScript crawl, export all the URLs, and then look at the differences, basically. And Sitebulb got in on this conversation, and on the 23rd, so three weeks later, uh, Patrick from Sitebulb tweeted to close the circle on this one. So obviously there'd been a little bit of discussion uh, in between. The update is now live in Sitebulb. Crawl with Chrome and it will automatically detect whether a link has been created or modified by JavaScript. So there's now when you complete this uh, crawl with the Chrome crawler, you'll get three options around the on the column with links which is created so the link was not found in the response html so it appears that javascript created it modified the link was found in the response html however the javascript has modified either the anchor text or the href url or no which is it wasn't added or altered by javascript at all so really helpful because as i'm sure you all know there are various content management systems which will uh, or single page applications which will create links with JavaScript, which can be an absolute nightmare when it comes to getting pages, especially new pages, uh, indexed quickly and getting sites fully crawled. And the modified one is really interesting as well. Uh, certainly with uh, quote unquote legacy platforms we've had to deal with, I've certainly used Google Tag Manager to sometimes rewrite the href of a URL if I if I want to change a template URL and I can't actually, uh, for whatever reason, get to the source to do that. Or if I want to add attributes like uh, no follow onto a URL, you can do all of that through JavaScript. So all of that now out of the box, don't need to mess around with Excel uh, to get that done. It's all built into Sitebulb. They've got a special offer for Search with Canda listeners. If you go to sitebulb.com forward slash SWC, so sitebulb.com forward slash SWC, 
If you download uh, Sitebulb from that URL, you will get a extended 60 day trial, no credit card required. So no excuse, go and give it a go. This one was a little bit of a head scratcher, certainly for some SEOs. So I thought it would be worth talking about on the podcast, which is this mobile first crawling becoming mobile only crawling. And the thread on Twitter, at least I saw, uh, as you know, I get all my information from Twitter. Uh, the thread on Twitter, at least I saw that started this conversation was by Adam Reimer. So I'll link to his tweet. You can get all of the links that I mentioned uh, during the show at search.withcanda.co.uk. And he says, wow, at John Mew just verified that if you have anything on desktop, not on mobile, so examples he gave were things like content, comments, reviews, etc. It will not be indexable starting March 2021. If it's not on your mobile page, it will not count for indexing. So this was a, a PubCon 2020 talk. Now, this kind of diverged people into two camps of, uh, well, whatever you say about SEO, there's always going to be the, yeah, we already knew that camp. And there's going to be the, oh, wow, this was, a, you know, this was unexpected or this was a particularly big change. So to, to rewind a little bit, everyone knows or hopefully knows that for a long time now, um, I don't even know the date, it's been quite a while, Google's been having this mobile first indexing approach, which is, uh, you know, they are going to crawl your site as if they're on a smartphone and that's the first version they're going to look at. And you can see this, there's a different uh, Googlebot user agent for smartphone that you can actually identify in your crawl logs. And if you look back in the messages in your Google search console, you'll likely see over the last 12 months or so, you've probably had a message that says, we're now crawling your site on a mobile first basis. Now, the, the plan always was for Google to switch everything over to mobile indexing. Um, and looking back at the dates for that, it was actually March 2020, Google announced everything would switch over by September 2020, but this got postponed like a few other things that Google was working on due to COVID. And we did cover that uh, in a previous episode when we were going through kind of various COVID updates. And it's been announced that this deadline now has been pushed off to March 2021. So that's about, what, four or five months, five months away now. So they've got this hard deadline. At the moment, if you look at your crawl logs, you will likely see that the vast majority of the visits from Googlebot are from this mobile uh, mobile user agent, which means it's looking pretty much at your, your site mostly anyway through mobile. So even if at the moment you had some of your content or comments hidden, it's still not going to find them unless you are getting some visits from kind of the older Googlebot, which is this desktop-based one. And then it seems at the moment Google is kind of using a mishmash of the two. It's a healthy way to think about your site. You know, hopefully you're already there, but from now, certainly as if it is mobile only. This is always where we were going to go. This was the point in going mobile first. 
So everything should be accessible on mobile that is on desktop. That's actually given us a little bit of bandwidth, certainly with design. We've mentioned previously before Google's reversed various recommendations for things such as tabbed content. So originally when we were still desktop crawling, the advice was, well, ideally you shouldn't have content tabbed because we're going to say it's probably not that important, so we might not index it. That was reversed and Google was saying, we understand that the real estate on mobile screens is smaller, so tabbed content shouldn't cause any issues. It, it should be fine. Um, but this is, yeah, this is what we should be considering, what you should be considering. I've only seen a few sites, thankfully, none of the ones uh, I have to actually work on where a mobile site was kind of bolted onto the top and that's had, that's been like a limited content version of the full site. So certainly if that's, you're in that situation, you need to get onto fixing that because five months isn't a long time and you're probably already suffering from that now. But hopefully that's cleared that up for you. If you if you thought it was a big cliff edge news, it's, it's kind of we're already over that cliff edge really. And this is the way we, we've already been going. But I understand that mobile only, mobile first may have confused some people. I've got some Google Discover news as well, which has also come from PubCon presentations. This time, this is from a tweet by Lily Ray, who I've mentioned on the podcast before. Excellent SEO, uh, talks a lot about EAT. Um, for those of you who maybe haven't encountered Google Discover, it's been around a few years now, but I still commonly talk to people, especially outside the SEO industry that haven't encountered it, or maybe they don't use it on their phone. So I'll just read you quickly the definition of what Google Discover is from Google uh, if, if it is new to you. So Discover is a feature within Google Search that helps users stay up to date on all their favorite topics without needing a query. Users get to discover their experience in the Google app on google.com mobile homepage and by swiping right from the home screen on Pixel phones. It's grown significantly since launching in 2017 and now helps more than 800 million people every month get inspired and explore new information by surfacing articles, videos, and other content on topics they care most about. Users have the ability to follow topics directly or let Google know if they'd like to see more or less of a specific topic. In addition, Google Discover isn't limited to what's new. It surfaces the best of the web regardless of publication date, from recipes and human interest stories to fashion videos and more. So there are a few uh, guides kind of already out there on how to optimize for Google Discover. We covered it ages ago. Uh, it was episode five. Uh, I think when we first covered it, maybe we in episode five, we talked about they just introduced a new um, report filter in Google Search Console so you could isolate traffic from Discover. And I'd actually been working with it a bit before um, be before that when we had had a client kind of by accident, well, totally by accident, actually receive a significant spike of traffic from Google Discover, which like many things in SEO sends you down that rabbit hole of, okay, how can we repeat this? How can we do it more? How can we build it into our actual process, maximizing chances to appear in Google Discover. So it's essentially, as Google says, a way to basically guess what 
a user's interested in without having them to having them do a search as like what their next search would be maybe. So Lily's tweeted basically Google's Discover is an amazing source of SEO traffic. Large images are required for Discover. That's been in their um, recommendations for quite a while. EAT is also crucial for appearing in Discover. So this is uh, Google's, uh, it's not a single metric, it's Google's overall view of a site's uh, expertise, authority, and trust. And she screenshotted a slide here from the presentation uh, that says, discover traffic can be really useful for newsy sites in particular. New info on Google discover in the help center is, so one, discover is less predictable slash dependable. So certainly um, you can optimize for Google discover, but it's not going to be guaranteed that you're going to be appearing in there. It's not as dependable as do these things like you would do for regular SEO and your rankings will improve and you'll get more traffic. There are separate discover content policies, which Google also published. The other recommendations is three and four they give are be timely and unique, use dates and author information. And the fifth one, which I think is one of the most important ones is use high quality images. So there's a couple of things uh, you can do there, which is using images above a minimum of 1200 pixels or ideally above. And there's also a meta robots uh, content tag you can put in for max image preview. And you can specify that as large, which seems to help get your content surfaced in Discover as well. And very mysteriously, <laughs> John Mueller has put here, think about expertise, authority, trust. Um, and Lily's obviously put that as EAT is crucial for appearing Discover. As I said, EAT isn't a singular metric. It's really wrapping up everything you should be doing in SEO anyway should revolve around expertise, authority, trust. It's going to help you in all aspects. But I thought this was interesting new information Google's been pushing forward on Discover. Certainly, there's no reason why if you've got the images that you can't put this meta tag on there and actually make sure your images uh, and your content is optimized for Discover as well. My favorite piece of advice I ever received around computing was if you're doing a repetitive task on your computer, you are using the computer wrong. And I was told that maybe 20 years ago now, almost 20 years ago, and it stuck with me as as a maxim I live by of, okay, I'm doing this on computer. Oh, this is boring. Hang on a minute. Is there a way I can, I can automate it? Because that's kind of what computers are really good at, right? Repetitive tasks. Um, so this story really interested me. I picked it up again from the TLDR marketing newsletter. So I'll put a link to their article uh, on this. And it's about Microsoft's new AI artificial intelligence for image captioning. So it's really interesting. This really interested me uh, from, from not only an accessibility point of view, which is what it's designed for, um, but from an SEO point of view as well. So there is obviously alt text is one of the things um, search engines are going to use to help decide if they should be ranking an image for a specific query or not. Although especially Google has got very good at looking at images and working out what's in them anyway. So we're certainly not in the situation we used to be where um, where search engines you know need us to do this and that's actually 
demonstrated by this AI existing in in its in in the first place. So this is a model called Seeing AI, which is a free app for people with visual impairments that uses a smartphone camera to read text, identify people and describe objects and surroundings. The news is that it's also now available to app developers through the computer vision API in Azure Cognitive Services. And it's gonna start rolling out into Microsoft Word, Outlook and PowerPoint later in the year. So this model can generate alt text image descriptions for web pages and documents. Uh, and as I said, Microsoft point out, this is an important feature for people with limited vision. Um, and alt text, you know, is something that is really commonly overlooked with with web builds um, and it does pain me when people say okay well we need the we need the alt text for the seo right and it's like no you need you need the alt text to to meet accessibility standards and help people who can't see the images describe what's in them but from a from a point of view of an seo task thing there's normally a couple of things that we have to do which fall into this repetitive task thing. And the, the other one that crops up always is the meta descriptions. And we've talked before, and you know, most SEOs will tell you, meta descriptions aren't directly impacting rankings. They're normally there um, to help you get a better click-through rate, which is part of SEO. And I think it was last month I saw uh, Portent had published a study for around 30,000 keywords where they saw that over 70% of the time, Google was rewriting the meta descriptions that humans had written anyway. And I can see why. So, and it just makes me feel sorry for when you've seen these SEO teams with these huge spreadsheets and some poor person, normally like an intern or something, has got that horrible job of please write meta descriptions for these 3,000 pages and they sit there and diligently look at the page and try and write a meta description uh, for each of them. And then Google just overwrites and ignores their work 70% of the time. So there's there's a good reason for that, uh, you know, from Google's point of view, which is, well, if someone's doing a search and we understand the intent of that search, it can sometimes be more helpful if actually we pick um, a snippet of the text out of your page that closer matches what that person's searching for so they know that content's on the page. And that's actually going to help you and it's dynamic and it's smarter than just trying to have a human write almost like an advert as to why people should click on click on that page. So both of these tasks have been automated in some way. Meta description, you know, the re most common example for products is you will have some kind of some kind of approach where it just has product name, order online, free delivery, and it will just use the, the information it has in the database to generate a fairly bland but accurate and you know on intent meta description, which is fine. And doing that with alt text has always been more challenging because that's a um, that's a much more human perception task of, of labeling what you see in an image. Because now we're getting to the stage where these models are publicly accessible, especially for um, you know large sites, it really makes sense, I think, to have this as part of your workflow, your marketing or your build, which is using these APIs to assist you with um, these kind of repetitive tasks. The, the 
the benefit certainly of things like meta descriptions is limited. So you do have to ask yourself, how much is it worth paying people to go through and do these things manually, especially if Google's replacing them a lot of the time, uh, when you can get most of the benefit of having them done in an automated fashion. Now, when I read through the uh, the Microsoft post about seeing AI, it is quite upfront about the, they said it outperformed humans in some tests, but not uh, obviously in, in any general sense. And the AI is very one-dimensional in terms of how it wants to label an image. So if it gets it wrong, it's not going to try and take another angle and think about it differently. It's just, oh, I think the image is, is this, sorry. So I think it would still need some supervision. But if you've got thousands of images on your site, this is definitely something I would look at to just burn through, you know, 70, 80% of that task with, with good accuracy. Um, and I think that's something a lot of bigger sites need to be looking at doing if they're not, which is rather rather than outsourcing or giving repetitive jobs to you know the lowest paid person is how can we do this uh, smarter and use the computers to for what they're meant to be used for. <laughs> Lastly, there have been more updates to the Google quality rater guidelines. So the Google quality rater guidelines, as hopefully we all know, is the document that helps the remote dispersed teams that are helping Google assess how well their algorithm is doing. I've seen Jennifer Slake has written a really nice uh, and very detailed write-up of what's changed in in uh, in these quality rater guidelines, the cool thing actually about these guidelines now is they finally included a change log. So they're telling us what they have to change, so we don't have to do a diff on the old and the new and have someone manually scour through and, and see what's changed. Uh, I'm really pleased to see that they've put this text in the quality rater guidelines, which is your ratings will not directly affect how a particular web page, website, or result appears in Google search, nor will they cause specific web pages, websites, or results to move up or down on the search results page. Instead, your ratings will be used to measure how well search engine algorithms are performing for a broad range of searches. And I don't know how many times I've had to explain this to people. It's a lot, and I'm sure a lot of other SEOs will feel uh, the same because there is a common misunderstanding that the Google quality rater team is there kind of voting websites up and down where that's not the case. They're, they're being used to as a human assessment, a human check on how the algorithms are performing to the end goal. So the end goal is basically what the quality rated guidelines are. They're saying this is the standard. This is the thing we're trying to achieve. Are we achieving it? It's not got any input into how they achieve that. Obviously, if the quality rated guidelines um, are followed and the feedback is, well, our algorithms are ranking highly, things people are rating manually as poor, then Google know they need to go back to the drawing board and look at what's what's happening there. Um, Jennifer does put her own thought alongside this which I thought was quite interesting which says it's important to remember that just because quality raters can't directly impact how well your site is doing in the search results if quality raters are consistently ranking your site poorly 
or sites similar in quality to yours, then you need to be aware that Google is actively working on algorithms to make it so that your type of site won't be ranking as well in the search results. And I think it's, <laughs> it, it sounds obvious, but it's a really good point to make, um, which is the sites that are similar to yours as well. So this is what the algorithm's doing. It's trying to find out what the commonalities between good and bad sites are. And this is why we have statements from Google when there's a large core update saying there's probably nothing you can do to kind of fix your site. It's not, if you lose those rankings, it's normally not just some technical tweak you need to do. It's that we've decided that actually your site just isn't up to scratch uh, because this is the standard that we're going for and sites like yours are demonstrably worse from the feedback we've got and verified from from this kind of testing. So you can't get away with having a bad site. This is about having a, a long-term view, like lots of things in SEO, a long-term view on what's going to make our site better, what's going to work well um, for for our users. And actually this is, so the, the, the updates to the quality rated guidelines yourself, hopefully this, will, this podcast will save you a lot of time um, because in my opinion, there was only one thing in there that was really um, kind of worth talking about, which is that Google is focusing more on their needs met um, part of this quality rated guidelines. So the needs met is basically it refers to how well your page satisfies the user's query. Um, a, high, a rating of highly meets from the from the quality rater is assigned basically to the the best results. That's how the the perfect fit for the query. So it may be that someone's done looking at your site and they decided this cannot be better. Um, the site as well, it, it's authoritative, it's high quality, it's entertaining, it's recent. Um, that's that's the gold standard and Google's really doubling down on that and I think most professional SEOs are in that line of thinking now which is they've moved on from this keyword centric thinking to this needs and intent uh, thinking so that's a big difference I see when I speak maybe to clients that have um, done some background reading about SEO or they, they, they have in their mind what it is and the conversation immediately goes on to keywords and what keywords do we want to rank for and what keywords do we need in our copy to, to make us rank for this. When the conversation now really needs to be um, looking at the intent of groups of searches and not does our keyword, does sorry, does our web page have these keywords but does our web page answer the intent for this query and that leads you on actually to more interesting topics such as you know when people say content immediately a lot of people think about text or just copy but content can be video it can be podcasts like this it can be images and thinking about what format of content maybe answers the query best so a, a common example I give is something like how to how to recharge a, a car battery for instance a lot of the time uh hopefully still now if someone checks if you do a google search for instructions on how to do that you'll surface a video result highly and that's because that type of content is normally best delivered 
by video because it's very helpful to have it visually there and it's very helpful because you might me maybe prop your phone up on your engine as you're doing it to to kind of follow that guide so it's not just about keywords it's about intent and how how you can meet that intent so i think that's always a good conversation to have internally if you're in charge of seo if you're an agency which is not just what content what articles or blog posts do we need but what's the best format as well um, to do this the other change that i found interesting um this i imagine is going to affect some people more than others and Jennifer had written about this and I sort of had to think about it, which was, so the old, the guidelines just before this had said, if the rater is unable to evaluate page quality because it's in a foreign language and they didn't understand it, they should just assign a medium rating. So an on, on the fence rating. And, and that's gone now. So they're telling people not to do that. And Jennifer said she was quite surprised that, you know, a page automatically just gets a medium rating if, if it can't be rated. And it just got me thinking um, to some spammers I was talking to who were having lots of success with basically foreign language spam. So they had set up um, lots of kind of copied and um, spun content in non-English languages and they found they were having it much, much greater success with those sites than in English uh, speaking search results. And I'm sure there is a there's a whole host of reasons why that is, including uh, English search results tend to be uh, very competitive in most regions, at least. And we always see Google features like BERT, for instance, when we first covered that, always seem to roll out in English first. Um, and then they they extend them to other languages. Same with Google Translate as well. We certainly saw the best results um, to and from English and other languages. So I do wonder if this is now maybe going to start to impact how foreign language spam sites are, are handled and how the algorithms looking back at that. But that was just one other interesting point I saw. The headline to this, though, is you need to be doubling down, thinking about needs met, thinking about intent, doing that research and like like we always try and get people to do in SEO is, is play that long game. And that's everything we've got time for in this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to be back in one week's time, which is breaking us into November. So it's going to be Monday, the 2nd of November. So we're approaching the end of 2020, finally. Uh, I hope you all have a great week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do subscribe, tell a friend, like it, link to it, or anything that might help.